This podcast is presented by the Miami Rescue Mission Broward Outreach Centers, also known as The Caring Place, www.caringplace.org. Welcome to Mission Possible, the good news program with all the good news and more. Brought to you by the Miami Rescue Mission and Broward Outreach Centers, where caring for the needy, feeding the hungry, and changing lives happens every day. Now here are your hosts for Mission Possible, Ron and Marilyn Brummett. Good morning, South Florida, and welcome to Mission Possible, the good news program brought to you by the Miami Rescue Mission and Broward Outreach Centers. We are known as the Caring Place and have been caring for the homeless and needy here in South Florida for 99 years. (laughs) Good morning again. I'm Ron Brummett. I'm the president of the Miami Rescue Mission, and I'm joined this morning by the Vice President, Marilyn Brummett. I guess you've seen some connection there, but good morning, Marilyn. Well, good morning. Wow, what a wonderful day. That's right. And you know, the mission's going to be celebrating its 100th year celebration centennial next year, 99 years. I've been here a little over 30 years, going 30 years plus one. And Marilyn, how long have you been here? Well, almost 20. Next year will be 20 for me. 20 years. You know, time goes so quickly and we're looking at our present situation in America here in South Florida. You know, last year at this time, we were we were so uncertain with the virus. We were on lockdown, basically, as, as the rest of the nation was. And our centers had to do things differently. We still have homeless in our communities. We still have those that have great needs. We still have women that are fleeing domestic violence that need a place to call home and a shelter. And uh, even more than a shelter, they need a place to get their lives turned around. So as the pandemic spread... Uh, we learned how to cope with it, as so many others did. And unfortunately for us, we like to run 100% every bed filled every single night. We don't want to lose anyone out to the streets. But because of social distancing and the the way that things were and the, the way that our men and women sleep in the dorm settings, we had to cut that down to about 75% occupancy. So our numbers went down. And I don't know where a lot of the homeless went in Broward or Miami, but they some of them went to hotel rooms. Some had some other um, situations where they could get involved with and get some help. But we are now gearing up. We are looking with great expectation for the future. We want to see every uh, person that comes in our door be able to be helped. We don't want to turn them, around, turn them away because we can't have the bed space. And that includes our Broward Center and our Miami Center. You know, every day our centers... I have about 600 people, men, women, and children at full capacity uh, when we're full-blown in operation. And Marilyn has a fantastic, Mm. uh, fantastic event coming up in June that I know she's just busting to to tell you about. Uh, This is for her very special group called Girlfriends for Girlfriends. Marilyn, tell us all about it. Well, that's right. Well, first of all, Girlfriends for Girlfriends is a very special volunteer focus group. And what do they focus on? They focus on helping women and children that are coming out of domestic violence that after they graduate our programs go into safe and affordable housing. Now, this group, they go out and visit the women when they get into their new housing, give them housewarming presents and keep them in courage and all through the year uh, they will give them those little touch points of love to keep them empowered and right now they are raising funds for uh, safe and affordable housing right now they have two multiplex houses that they've raised money for that women and children are in and they're on, on their third project right now and they have an event oh my gosh it's so exciting it's going to be on june the 26th 
It is a G for G, Girlfriends for Girlfriends, Body and Soul drive through event. And you'll say, well, what is that? Well, we'll have food trucks, and for there'll be six different food trucks, and for $45 for a ticket, you get the food from six different trucks. It is stinking amazing. And it's going to be at our Miami Gardens property. So if you go to the website, you can buy the ticket and also see the address of where the drive through is going to be. It is at caringplace.org slash G4G foodie, F-O-O-D-I-E. That's right. That's caringplace.org slash foodie. G for G. G. Foodie. Foodie. And, uh, that, you have a great day that day. We're going to have a drive through. They're going to be, how many trucks are going to be there? Six. And listen, we have all kinds of food. We have soul food, Italian food, Peruvian food, um, Jamaican food, a dessert, uh, thing. I mean, it's just amazing all the different kinds of food. And it's going to be done safely with great precaution because it's going to be a drive through. And by the way, we've learned in the course of the last year of how to still serve the community and do it safely. You know, for many years, We've always had great, great events outdoors where we shut down the entire street. Thousands would come uh, for our celebrations at Thanksgiving and Christmas and our Christmas in July and our Thanksgiving on Good Friday. And we had to do things a lot differently last year. And we used our, our properties in different ways. And we used our church property, which is located in Miami Gardens. It's really is perfect for drive-throughs and we've yes, used that is. for the community and we've done toy drives there at Christmas over 500 families received toys and Thanksgiving we had a tremendous meal giveaway there so we are we still want to serve the Lord and share his love with people that are hurting and encourage people you know when you see lines and lines of cars in the last year just waiting for hours sometimes to get a bag of groceries, of food, because they just don't have the means. And then uh, those people at least have some mobility. But when you look at our homeless people that are just stuck, you know, they don't have a place to quarantine. They're out there in the elements. And so we do want to share God's love with them. And the way that we do for our women, uh, this Girlfriends for Girlfriends group, my hat's off to them. Uh, they're just on fire and they came up with this idea. So again, go to caringplace.org slash G4G foodie. That's F O O D I E. And that's not the only thing that we're doing this, uh, June. We have two other events yes. that we're going to have to bless the homeless and, and to bring attention, uh, to our men and women. And the first one is going to be on June 2nd and it's called our bombastic birthday party, Marilyn. Yeah, that's right. And we celebrate every year. It's always the first Wednesday of June. We celebrate all the birthdays of homeless men and women. And it's become uh, a, a event that people can't wait for, especially the ones on the street as they come and they know that their birthday is going to be celebrated with food, cupcake, uh, they have a little, their own little candle on it. They have a birthday card. They get gifts, and it's decorated, and it's just amazing. And so many of them said, I really feel like it's my birthday today, and some of them say it is my birthday today. It just happens to be. But it's a wonderful event, and if you'd like to help sponsor meals for that day, uh, you can sponsor 10 meals for $21, 20 meals for $42. Go to caringplace.org slash birthday. And then later in the month, um, you know, before our foodie event, there will be the birthday, I mean, the Father's Day celebration. And then we really celebrate our fathers. See, we want to empower them to reestablish those relationships with their children. And so it's going to be an amazing event. There'll be a special speaker for dads 
to encourage them to be the leaders of their family. And if you want to help with that, you go to caringplace.org slash fathers. Now, we've given you three different things. You say, how do I remember all that? Well, remember, caringplace.org gets you to the site. So if you want to ha- want a ticket for the foodie event, now that's a six-course meal uh, for $45. Uh, really, you shouldn't miss that. You should be li- people should be lined up for that one. And go to G4G foodie after the caringplace.org slash, you know, or if you want to help with Father's Day slash fathers, if you want to help with the birthday slash birthday. Yeah, just go to the main website. We don't want to get everyone confused and give too much information, but we want to make it easy for people to help. And, you know, we didn't have our volunteer core that we normally have in the past years. Uh, up to 9,000 uh, men and women and children would come and help us with all different activities, not just to serve food, but to use your talents in a productive way. Maybe you can paint. Maybe you can do landscaping. Maybe you know how to do children time or, or men time or educate people or become a mentor. There's so many different ways to get involved. We are opening those doors up again. Again, we're doing everything uh, with the safety precautions and all that, make sure that people are getting vaccinated and wearing their mask so everyone feels safe. Uh, and yet we do need our volunteers. It's, it's been very difficult because they're like family to us. And they, without our volunteer core, uh, things just don't get done. So our buildings are looking a little worn down <laughs> from not being taken care of. And so we would really appreciate your help by becoming a volunteer. And then if you just want to do something, the easiest way to help us help change lives of men, women, and children. Uh, we're still having our uh, Recycle with a Purpose campaign. And you can. what that means is in your home, uh, when you go through, and I've seen this a lot, people are throwing away furniture outside. I say, wow, they could give it to the mission. Uh, we will pick up your good quality furniture. We don't want things that the dog has eaten and so on, your, your clothing, your appliances and so on. And that helps us in all of our centers. And we also have a thrift store located at uh, 700, uh, 8700 Northwest 7th Avenue that sells these items to the ones in the neighborhood and raises money for our programs. So, so many ways to help to get involved. Well, God bless you and stay tuned right here on News Radio 610 WIOD for more Mission Possible. Well, once again, this is Marilyn Brummett, and I just love this part of the program where we get to interview people who are making a difference in our own community, in our own backyards. And I have with me today someone that I've known for many, many years. I have Patricia Zeiler, and she is the executive director of the History of Fort Lauderdale Museum. Patricia, I'm so glad to have you with me. Thanks, Marilyn. It's a real pleasure to be with you as well. Well, I know you've been now the executive director there for what, nearly seven years? Almost seven, yes. Exactly. And actually before that, we might want to say, because I interviewed you mm-hmm. even before that, what what was you with? Before that, it was with uh, Sun Trolley. That was a nonprofit uh, transit agency. Really interesting work. Um, a lot of um, underserved communities, and that's sort of how you and I got to know each other through our service of the homeless folks who rode on our transportation. Well, that's amazing. And so you've always had that um, forte to be able to help people. And uh, now that you are the executive director there in Fort Lauderdale of the museum, I know that this is just, this is a perfect spot for you. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I'm really having fun with it. It's a great place. Well, Fort Lauderdale Historical Society, which uh, manages history, Fort Lauderdale, is a six, is coming up on its 60th anniversary in 2022. We operate three museums and a full research library in downtown Fort Lauderdale in the largest 
concentration of historic buildings left in all of Broward County. So we have a, his, a main history museum, which is uh, gallery floors on the bottom with visual arts. Second floor is our history galleries. There's four of those. And then our third floor, kind of unusual, we have what's called the New River Artists Co-op. And it's a group of six artists, some of them specializing in crafts and arts that would have been necessary for the 1905 New River Inn, which is the building they're housed in. And then our second museum mm-hmm. is a pioneer house, um, mm. set as if the family's coming home for dinner in Aww. 1907. It's with children's toys and clothes laid out on the oh, bed. Wow. And then the third museum is the 1899 Replica Schoolhouse, a really important pivotal point for Broward County, which was then Miami-Dade County, was the coming of the very first school teacher. And it was a, she was an incredible person who committed herself to um, serving particularly uh, the indigenous people, the Seminole people of Mm. Florida for almost her whole life. So she, she stepped away from teaching when she married the regular school, but then she continued to teach Seminole children. So there's three museums and then our research library where we do property research, historical research, you name it. We have authors in there all the time. It's kind of fun. It's never the same thing twice. So always uh, with an idea of, um, highlighting the diverse communities that built South Florida. So going all the way back to the Tequesta people who are indigenous people uh, who basically were almost completely eliminated by European diseases, then moving Mm. into the Seminole people. And then from there, looking at the Spanish explorers who came. Remember Ponce de Leon? Oh, yes. Right. I love all that stuff. We have a great story of a a Spanish explorer coming up the New River Mm -hmm. in 1790. And it's just it's an amazing record of the Spanish care of the land that they had for all those centuries. And then at post that, then there's the coming of the, what we call European settlers, for want of a better word, and um, the African-American experience in the community too, which is one of the things we're working on now for a new permanent exhibit. Oh, that is amazing. I mean, I don't even know where to, that was a plethora <laughs> of things. I just want to say that I, I raised my children going through museums, okay? Um, and when they were, you know, younger, you know, I would make them <laughs> stop and they had to read the little cards, you know, and it was like, mom, okay, we just want, no, no, you have to read and understand. And now I see them as grown people, um, taking their children and I see them doing the same thing, yeah, that's you wonderful. know, and I, and at first they didn't like it, but then later on and later on when they had the headphones and you could listen to things. And so they were brought up in that, that experience. And I just, first of all, myself, I love the seminal history. And I really got into that in school. And then when you say Ponce de Leon, I actually lived in Warm Mineral Springs where he was supposed yeah. to be looking for the fountain of youth. Yes, right. So they had this round uh, thing that you could go through and his whole um, experience. So I, I, I grew up on all that. So I love this kind of stuff. Yeah. I, I could eat it, I, drink it. You know, I just love it. So I think what you're doing is very important in our society. Florida has great stories, especially our community has great stories. And I think when you do a deep dive in, you know, the first settlers along our new river were probably Bahamian. So there were Caribbean people on the new river as the first settlers other than the first nation people. And then there's, you know, so there's all those different stories and different opportunities to highlight the communities that are still here today and talk about what they contributed to the fabric of our development and what they continue to contribute. 
It may, may, makes me want to say the fabric of our lives. <laughs> that advertisement. But, you know, that is so true. And I, I believe with all of my heart that history is so important because it's legacy. You know, uh, where did our ancestry come from? And, you know, there's good points and there's bad points. But, okay, so in bad points, we learn how to, to be better. And we don't have to always take that, okay, something wasn't done right. That doesn't mean we have to continue in that realm. We just get better. So, and I know you're working on something right now in that area. Yes, we're working on a full permanent exhibition of the um, African-American pioneer experience in Broward County. I think one of the unique things there is that the um, African-American men who came to build Flagler's Railroad, which was the first big event in, uh, you know, post uh, Seminole Wars. Um, there were 400 African American men that settled along the New River in 1895. And they stayed, a lot of them, to help build the little fledgling town. Now, there were 70 people who were not black at that time in Broward County and 400 African American men. But in the 1900 census, the African Americans were not counted. So I like to tell people we were a minority majority county from the very beginning. Wow, and, you know, as, and what as a way moved, to say it. It is. It's the truth. But, you know, the discouraging piece is that the gentlemen who built the roads and built the buildings and stayed and did that labor and really helped build a town were not even counted when it came to the time, you know, for the, the government to acknowledge them living there. It's it's again, you said history is like, you know, you get the good and the bad and you've got to kind of look at the whole picture right. and talks a little bit about how some of our attitudes are still today. And what was his name? Um, the the the, 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 the gentleman that was the help build the. Oh well, that would be a, a lot of the African American men that came, and again, we don't know their names oh, because they weren't goodness. even taken in the census. There was no record of who they were. You know, oh, that's that, it. Now that that that's that's. That's a shame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's some other wonderful folks. I mean, you look at a, a philanthropist like um, uh, um, Sylvia Allridge. If Sylvia Allridge was an African-American woman who came to Fort Lauderdale in 1904, of course, under the Jim Crow laws with the sundown laws, she had to wear a have a badge to go across the railroad tracks after sundown at night. She came as a young wife at 20 years old, a uh, hardworking girl. Her family was affluent from up in Gainesville. So um, she what, started the first employment agency. She started the first uniform company. She started the first taxi company. She started the first rental well, She apartment. was an entrepreneur. Yes. And, and she was working primarily in the African-American community. So by 1926, just like in Miami down here, the Broward County also suffered from that 26 hurricane, and it mm-hmm. started the Depression three years earlier. Sylvia was feeding her community mm-hmm. from the back door of her house. Wow. You know, so she was just an amazing, amazing woman in her stories. Those I are the stories this. I love to yeah. tell. Yeah, and I love to hear them. Uh, what is the website for uh, the historical museum? So we're historyfortlauderdale.org. History fortlauderdale.org. Correct. Well, I'm just going to encourage anybody listening to look that up. And as we now are getting back to maybe a little bit more where we can gather and go different places, hopefully they will come and visit the museum. Thank you, Patricia Zeiler, the executive director of the Fort Lauderdale Museum. We just love you and uh, just keep going forth with what you're doing. God bless you. Thanks, Marilyn. Leanne Navarro here, the Senior Community Development Associate for the Miami Rescue Mission and the Broward Outreach Centers. I'm excited we have today on the phone with us uh, Melissa Latartu, the owner and founder of Black-Owned South Florida. Welcome, Melissa. Thank you so much for joining us. 
Thank you so much for having me, Leanne. Oh, I'm excited because I know, I mean, I love your organization already. I know we haven't really met in person. We did a Zoom meeting. We had a, an opportunity to to kind of talk about what we are all doing. And I cannot wait to hear more. Tell me about your organization, Black-Owned South Florida. Thank you so much. Well, um, it was created pretty much to provide Black businesses with promotional support. Um, you know, in today's society, especially during the pandemic, I recognize that there was a necessity in providing Black businesses with continuous support and opportunities just by creating different um, events and just connectivity through one uh, with one another. Uh, most importantly, my passion was for equality and, and diversion. And um, this is what drove my idea to create this platform. Any unfair treatment and lack of resources for the Black community, especially Black businesses, is what fueled my vision. Um, it forced me to do some searching and researching to figure out how I can contribute to the better and change in our society. So what other better ways than to use social media? You know, social media is a great platform and it can reach people globally pretty much anyone, anywhere throughout the world. And um, this thing started as an idea, and it's grown into something pretty powerful and encouraging. Um, I've met some great business owners um, throughout this whole ordeal, and uh, this platform's received a tremendous amount of support, and it's growing rapidly every day. Um, so I invested in continuing to create positive change and contributing to the economic growth of Black businesses, because a lot of times, uh, for the black community, these resources, they're just not aware of how to get these resources to create their businesses. And sometimes we just can't find them um, because they have they don't have the resources to properly promote their businesses. Right. So I wanted to provide a platform for them to be able to find them and support them as much as they can. And so I created an online directory as well. I, I love it because let me tell you something, uh, you know, having to navigate social media and having that those platforms, it doesn't come easy to everyone, okay? I mean, I know everyone knows the importance of being active and being able to be found in social media, but not everybody knows how to do it correctly, right? Uh, so I'm okay. sure that those businesses that you are helping and those individuals that you are trying to, uh, you know, kind of like put them in the map per se, right? Um, they're grateful to you. I mean, what, what is some of the feedback that you're getting from some of these uh, organizations or individuals? Well, you know, in the beginning, you know, I was really reaching out to them and I was saying, hey, you know, can I just promote your business? I want people to be able to come kind of like a one-stop shop where they can just come here and find the business that they want to support easily um, because a lot of things are word of mouth, unfortunately. So, you know, social media is very big and these people are so happy that I just promote them. And I, it makes me happy and it makes me want to continue because, you know, we all have a purpose in this world. And if we're not helping one another, you know, what is our purpose in life? So it makes me happy to see how happy and grateful they are because these are small businesses. These are people that are working full-time jobs and doing this on the side. So amazing. Now, it feels for any, great to help them. That, that's amazing. Now, for anyone that, that wants to be a part of what you're doing, and I don't want to run out of time, how can people find you? Like, if they're listening and they say, oh, my God, I want to be a part of that, I need to talk to Melissa. 
So how do they find you? Do they find you in social media and how? Okay, so our Instagram page is Black Owned South and SL. And there's also blackownedsfl.com. That's our online directory. Beautiful. So if you're listening and you want to know what Melissa is doing with her wonderful, wonderful initiative with Black Owned South Florida, please, please follow her, find her. Uh, Melissa, thank you so much for joining us. I can't wait to see all the things that you're going to be doing in the future. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for this opportunity. But once again, we are at that part of the program where we interview people who want to give their testimony, tell about life change, tell where uh, they're headed now, that maybe there was a time in their life everything seemed lost, but now there's hope. So I have with me today, Michael. And first of all, welcome to the program. Hi, glad to be here. Well, Michael, let's go back into your history as how did you get to the United States? Because I know a little bit off air that you came here as a child. Yeah, I was born in um, Colombia, and we migrated over here when I was six years old, learned English, went to Chicago for like six months, then came down to Hialeah. Now, did you have a stable childhood, or how was no, it? No, no. came over here with my mother. I don't know my dad. My mom comes from like an abusive household, um, so she has issues of her own. But it's not something I, I started understanding until recently to know what factors affected me throughout my life and trying to get to the root of things and create some change. We, we moved around a lot. I went to a lot of schools, went, lived a lot of places, so a lot of instability, a lot of creating relationships and breaking of relationships. Yeah, but eventually you went into the service, right? Yes, yes. So I did some ROTC in high school. And uh, I was giving some advice to go into the military. So I went to the U.S. Navy is where I really started drinking a lot, just really on my own. It wasn't. Um, so in your case, you were saying it wasn't peer pressure. Yeah, it was it was sort of normal. It was a no, it was a normal thing to do. Huh. But I would go on my own. And eventually, like I hooked up with some people and we would drink on our own and party. Um, it always starts as a party. Mm-hmm. I inspect the survival coming for pilots. So everything had to be in order. It was like a mile of times. So it was just getting out of hand. So I got out of the service uh, with a general discharge, has honorable conditions, um, worked here and there, did more drinking, got into, introduced to marijuana. So I decided to, I don't know, I, I was exploring, I guess I was exploring that part of my life with the marijuana and um, just smoking a lot, smoking a lot, mainly weed smoker. Of course, I mean, when you do things like that, you want to feel good, right? Yeah, yeah, it was... Um, Feels good. I did a lot of thinking, uh, a lot of planning, a lot of uh, analyzing, uh, trying to figure out what my life went wrong. Eventually, that that created a problems of its of its own. As I'm trying to figure out what went wrong to try to solve it, I'm on marijuana, I'm on the drugs, and that's that's creating habits and behaviors on itself. Um, mm-hmm. Later on, um, I got introduced to to cocaine. It was really accessible. I knew I knew some guy around the corner, so I experimented with that, and that led into. Uh, Getting addressed, getting arrested, getting to drug court, um, doing doing the pro those programs, learning about drugs, learning about the uh, addiction. Um, now you learned about it. You went through the programs, but it seems like when you came out, you said you just did it again. I still did it. Uh, so um, what's that all about? What do you think? Why? I mean, you know, hey, this is the addiction. This is the pattern. Uh, you've learned through the programs. Why go back? Uh, I was part of it is I was rebellious. The other part was I didn't really get too much into the coke. It was like in the beginning and I got arrested. So it was like, you know, I feel like, oh, I just want to have fun. Why? Why are they messing with me? It was later, later on where I had uh, I had a lot of freedom. I was living on my own. 
um, I had no one to watch over me where it became undisciplined. So undisciplined. Now freedom. we're going to have to fast forward because I know a little bit more of your story, but we don't mm. have time to really go mm-hmm. through it. But you were a taxi driver for a while, for yes, about ma'am. a year. Yes, ma'am. But then what happened and what, what really led you to the Miami Rescue Mission? The drugs started spiraling out of control. I mean, everything that they talked about addiction, I was watching it happen. Just like couldn't stop. Uh, just uh, all these different people I was meeting, all these different drugs that were coming. Um, mm-hmm. I was in like scared to experiment. And it just got a little bit too out of hand where I knew that if it continued, either I was going to get arrested or lose my life. And um, it felt like, uh, you know, God was going to take it away and it hurts. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so I'm going to have to up. just kind of give the end of your story because we're at the end of our time, Michael. Yes, but um, you had said off air to me that you actually learned the mission by playing chess with somebody downtown. Yes, came ma'am. here for a free meal. You guys could have go paid for a meal, but yes, no, you came for a free meal. But that led you to know where to come when you really were in trouble. And you were standing in line one time and they gave a flyer and in- invited you to Christmas in July. It's a big outreach that we yes, do ma'am. every year. Um, on the streets and we just feed thousands. And so you came in at that time and you entered the mission. Your life is different. You're alpha now. That means you're upperclassmen. You are Harvard. Uh, I say that you are a senior in Harvard when you're an alpha at the Miami Rescue Mission. We're going to have you back again and you can tell more of your story. Thank you, Michael. Well, we are back with Michael, and Michael's going to pick up his story. I hope you stay tuned with us. If you just tuned in, uh, Michael came uh, as a child from Columbia, but uh, really experienced a very unstable life. Um, his mother was also had been abused, and so that causes issues in his upbringing. Went into the Navy, tried to be that good man, um, but at the same time drinking. And uh, now we're kind of at that part where you're on weed, you're experimenting with cocaine, you're in and out of court. So let's pick it up there, Michael. Uh, what what what's happening in your life story at that moment? Okay, so after the second time, I get I get arrested and I'm in drug court, so I need to stay clean. And um, somehow I get into college, and I'm doing college for a little bit. And uh, from a suggestion from um, my algebra teacher, he said to go learn uh, chess. So. I was playing chess downtown Miami with some guys and one of the guys suggested we go eat somewhere. Um, so that's how I got introduced to the mission. Um, he brought me here. We ate, uh, twice. Uh, so now you could have gone and paid for food, but yes. hey, you guys are kind of like, hey, I know a free place. Come, let's go on down. We'll get in that line. We'll get a free plate of food. Yeah. And, um, I've been playing chess with him for a while. So I, you know, he's a good guy. So hey, let me just, let me just go with him. Let's so that was an experience. That's my, but that's maybe my, God was introducing you to where the Miami rescue mission was. That's right. He was introducing me, um, because I, I barely remember the experience at all. All I remember is coming to a place where I was, where, where they feed the homeless, where I got to eating that eventually later on down the years, um, after I'm done with college and, and I go through some issues and I'm out on the street homeless. I remember that this is a place where I could come eat. And then later on, I'm introduced to the program. But before we get mm-hmm. there, um, I was working as a taxi driver for like a year and uh, I had a lot of undisciplined freedom and things just spiraled out of control. Um, basically, there was no one to check me. Really, I had I could live by myself. I had all this money. I met a lot of contacts. I had a lot of access to stuff. And it was just, it kept going. So all these things from, that I learned from the, from the, from the program, the drug programs, I was seeing it happen in my life and I was seeing it spiraling out of control and it just, I wouldn't stop. So I just, uh, 
before before it got worse and before I got arrested again and before anything else bad happens, I just decided to leave it alone. And um, I mean, by then I had I had no money for rent and I just it's barely I was barely supporting myself. Even though I was still driving, I was still had money, but I had to get rid of the things that that fed the beast of addiction. Now you have a little different reason as to why you became homeless. What was your reasoning? You actually chose it. Yeah, I um I. I just decided to 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 leave everything behind and 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 go live on the street to to get sober. Somebody's saying what? Yeah, it was just it was just the reasoning. It's a little bit part of the madness of of uh, all the drugs. But yeah, I um in early in the, on in the beginning, I knew that as long as I stay sober, everything was gonna be all right. You know, and that's some of the stuff that kept me going early on. Just it was just about sobering up and sobering up, uh, living in an abandoned house. Uh, so you told me off air that okay, so you're living kind of in Bayfront there. Yeah, I was, uh, okay, I was living in Bayfront, but real quick, uh, my first night I stayed somewhere, and when I went back, one some homeless guy tried to charge me for rent for for his for the sidewalk. So we got into a fight. That's how I ended up at Bayfront. But uh, I knew about the I uh, that little I, idea about like they go feed homeless and I could go eat here. Um, that's what search led me to search out the Miami Rescue Mission, which I didn't know was the Miami Rescue Mission at the time. So I went and ate, and um, that used to be my routine. I used to live at Bayfront, uh, go to come uh, here and eat, come here and eat. And then I, because we only have a minute left here, or less than that, I'm going to say, and you were given a flyer in line while you're waiting to eat. Christmas and in July. Inviting you to Christmas in July. We feed everybody yes. clothing given away. It's fun, music. Hygiene. And uh, there's an intake table. Yes, I got, uh, uh, they said, come in you could come in and you could come into the program and um, and you did it that day it sounded good that, and now you're in there. alpha and that to us as i explain it all the time to people who are listening it is like being at a senior at harvard university yes, when you ma'am. make it to alpha well yes, thank ma'am. you michael for sharing and we got to close i wish we could talk to you more god bless you all right god bless you thank you bye. well what a great testimony from michael you know that's what it's all about here at the caring place uh, we're changing lives every single day, even though we're serving thousands of people during the course of a year through our various outreaches and for our special campaigns. It always comes down to that one person. You know, I don't know if you set your marks on anything to change in your life. Maybe you wanted to lose some weight. Maybe you want to get a little fitter. Uh, maybe you want to go and take a class someplace or, or do something artsy. Uh, when you make that decision, even though people can come around, you can have the best instructors, you can watch all the videos about it, you can get people to coach you and encourage you, but when it comes down to it, you have to do the work. And so we, we do the same thing in our centers here in Broward and Miami. And Maryland, you've been here almost 20 years. You've seen the great work we've done with our women. Oh, that's right. And, you know, we in our own studies and research, we see that over 85 percent of our women that come to us come for because of domestic violence, abuse, uh, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, physical abuse. And so we know that that's what brings our women to become homeless and they come with their children. Some of them come pregnant and uh, it just breaks your heart when you see the hurt. Uh, in their eyes because they've trusted someone and then they've abused them but we want to empower them and one of the things that we know that's very important to women is to find safe and affordable housing because that then allows them to be empowered and to be independent and we have a group called girlfriends for girlfriends we've already talked about it 
And they're having this foodie event. And if you've already been listening to the program, you know on June 26th, I'm inviting you uh, to be part of this. We're going to have six food trucks. And you, it's a drive-through, so you just drive through and the food's going to be right brought to your car and wrapped nicely. And for $45, can you imagine, it's almost unheard of, that you're going to get six different types of food. We got soul food, Peruvian food, um, Jamaican food, uh, Italian food. So there's six different types of food. You just drive through and pick it up. Get your ticket as soon as possible. It's $45. Buy multiple tickets. Go to caringplace.org slash G for G foodie. Remember, that's F-O-O-D-I-E. G for G foodie. And that G for G is just G, the number four, G foodie, F-O-O-D-I-E. Or just go to our website. I'll make sure that it's up there so you can click through it. You know, we can't do all that we do without the support of our community and our faith partners, our friends. Uh, Maryland's been here almost 20 years. I've been here over 30 years, and I can attest that there's so many good things happening. With all the doom and the gloom and the bad news and the uncertainty and the anxiety, God has a plan. And together, we need to look to the future and say the best is yet to come. We're going to overcome this. We're going to get through it. We are getting through it. It's like you know, someone's told me once, you're either uh, going into a storm, you're in the storm, or you're coming out of the storm. And I believe that we are coming out of the storm. Our, there is some normalcy coming back to our country and the world. Uh, we're gearing up to replenish all of our centers. Uh, that's why we need volunteers. We need your financial support. Uh, we need your prayers uh, and we need you to get involved. And for our volunteers, uh, special, we just love them because right. you can, you, your time is your most precious commodity you have. And when you set out, and it may be you're volunteering on another organization, and that really is a blessing to them. And you've taken the time out to say, you know, I care about this cause. I care about what these people do, and I want to be a part of it. And we have so many different volunteer uh, opportunities. You can visit our website and find out more. Uh, fill out a little form, and they'll get in contact with you. And uh, again, we can't do it uh, financially, uh, service-wise, or anything. So again, we want to thank all of our listeners. That's what this program's all about: is to bring some good news, to bring some hope, and to remind people there's a God, and there's a way to God through Jesus Christ. Well, God bless you again, and stay tuned next Sunday right here on News Radio 610 WIOD for more Mission Possible. This podcast was presented by the Miami Rescue Mission Broward Outreach Centers, also known as The Caring Place, www.caringplace.org.